The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. everyone and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. Today we have a guest who's been with us before and we're very excited to have him back, David Sibbett. He's the author of Visual Teams, Graphic Tools for Commitment, Innovation, and High Performance, and previous books, Visual Meetings, How Graphic Sticky Notes and Idea Mapping Can Transform Group Productivity, and he is the president and founder of the Grove Consultants International, who does this work all over the world. David, welcome to the show. Thank you, Cheryl. Happy to be here. It's great to have you here today. So where are you today? Well, I'm in my office in San Francisco in the Presidio. Um, We have... We're part of the Thoreau Center for Sustainability here in, in uh, what used to be the Surgeon General's headquarters. Oh, in the Presidio, which is yeah. an old army outpost, right? Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful location, and I, and I noticed that we have sunshine in the Bay Area today. We do. It's beautiful. lovely, isn't it? Yeah. We're very lucky. So, David, I'm so glad to have you here. I've been looking at your new book, and it's very exciting. And, you know, as apropos, since it is called Visual Teams, there's a whole lot of visuals in this book and tells the story really well. Let just, um, in our last time, the last time we had you on the show, you did a really good job of detailing um, what visual meetings could be and how to use graphics. Tell us what you mean by visual teams in organizations. Sure. Yeah, in uh, 2010, the the first book that I did with Wiley and Sons, Visual Meetings, ended up being in the top 5% of all business books all that year. Wow. And the editor uh, was just very convinced that this visualization business is taking off um, as a general interest. And you, you can see with the uh, sales of the iPad and the increasing amount of both text and graphic communications that's just ubiquitous on the Internet, that people are really finding that, that visual thinking is very current. Also, you're finding a lot more attention being paid to design thinking, what's called uh, the kind of things that IDEO and others have been supporting as a way to do innovation. So Visual Teams is a build on the Visual Meetings book, and it shows how teams that work visually across the whole arc of their work uh, do that. So it deals not only with teams themselves in the meetings they have, but the in-between work 
project work and 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 also how you think visually about teams themselves. So, well, that I think is a good point. You know, how you think about teams themselves in a visual way. Um, what's different about that than just imagining a group of people? Well, in the 1980s, um, I met a fellow named Alan Drexler at one of my workshops, and he had a team building model and was really um, doing full-time teamwork. He was a person who worked a lot with Bethel, Maine, which is uh, one of the leading educational institutions in OD, organizational development. Mm-hmm. And he and I worked to develop a visual way to understand team dynamics uh, based on the Gibb, Dressler, Weisborg model that they had at the time. And I'd been working with a theory of process uh, articulated by a guy named Arthur Young. And I also was working with Apple during that period and was quite convinced that the graphical user interface uh, was a natural way to explain things that are complicated. And mm-hmm. team dynamics can be fairly complicated. Right. Yeah. There are simple ways to think about it. I mean, like you have simple models like the well-known Tuckman model, which talks about teams going through a process of forming, then storming, norming, and performing. You've probably heard of that one. Right. Um, and those and Alan's original model was similar. I mean, it said that uh, all groups go through a process initially of asking why they meet together, then who am I going to work with, do I trust them, and what are we going to do? being clear about objectives, and then how are we going to do it, you know, which is sort of time, money, materials. Mm-hmm. And these simple uh, progressions are drawn from behavioral science research about what people in groups need to do when they're first gathering together. And what they don't deal with is what happens after the team is formed and then trying to sustain performance. And so we developed during the 80s the team performance model. It's called the Drexler Civic Team Performance Model. And it basically shows both the, the simple stages involved in creating a team, but it also shows the stages involved in sustaining performance. And we worked very hard to graphically illustrate this so that you can intuitively understand it. It's a model called the bouncing ball model. And it shows uh, a series of seven steps that go from the top left of the, of the graphic down to the bottom and then bounce up back up to the top right. Mm-hmm. And the basic idea is that a team needs to take on constraint represented graphically by going toward the bottom of the page. Um, this is because people generally think of down as being toward the ground Mm-hmm. And toward things that are solid and somewhat constrained. I mean, we, we have the common language saying of, you know, feet on the ground, head in the sky. Sure, yeah. Or concrete reality. Right. You know, that kind of thing. Well, humans that are upright all day long have embedded this metaphoric orientation to the world. Mm, yeah. Solid down, open is up. And so we illustrated the team performance model that way, saying basically you've got to get your head out of your imagination and anything's possible to the constraints of agreeing on what you're going to do as an interdependent group, as a team. 
Mm. And so that's the downward part. And then the bounce is when you master those constraints and get regain freedom. So this book, Visual Teams, is really on two channels. One is showing you how teams work like designers across the whole arc of their work. Mm. And then also how you can visually think about teams and have a graphical user interface for thinking about team dynamics. So the book completely explains the team performance model and gives many rich examples of different kinds of teams that are mastering different stages. Mm. So you really see, and you've had experience with, um, where productivity increases if people can have this graphical interface. Yes. Well, a couple of the hypotheses that I've had about where we're going with work. I mean, it, in the in the 90s, we worked with a large consumer goods company teaching all of their internal personnel people how to think about um, meetings, teams, and organizational change, mm. you know, all of which were things that those people had to deal with because the, there were a lot of changes going on in their, in their world. Uh, and we decided at that time with them that teams were really, in some ways, the molecule of organizational work. Mm. And that's where the results occur is project teams and other groups that actually get something done. Now, you also have groups that are not really tightly integrated. Um, they're people who mostly work independently, but maybe they have a boss and some goals. Right. This might be a call center or, um, you know, people who are working as individual salesmen, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, and these work groups uh, don't have as high a need for uh, being in close alignment. Uh, they need to be more focused on goals and trusting their leader and that kind of thing, and then being competent. But interdependent teams, like in any kind of manufacturing company, any software design team, any health services team in a hospital, those kinds of teams really need to know how to work together. And like a sports team, um, productivity increases if they can have a way of thinking about their work and how they can improve their work. So without any kind of language for thinking about teaming, it's very hard for a team to engage on that. Well, that makes a lot of sense, and it makes me wonder um, about, you know, for years, people have gone through the whole process of strategy planning and, you know, mapping goals and developing action plans, and uh-huh. and everything is, um, what's the word, it's, it's all in um, text, you know, it's all words, right? Uh-huh. And yet that... That was um, seemed to be what was important. As long as people could read it, you know, could track it. If there was a spreadsheet with project management tools, you know, it was that that was it. And you know, I'm I guess I'm wondering what is this about it being more visual? Well, one you know? of the shifts in this happened uh, in the '70s with the total quality movement. Uh-huh. Oh. I don't know whether you remember that, but it was um, 
aimed at getting people who do work, particularly in production, industrial situations, factory situations, to right. able to improve their processes and problem solve on the floor and do things like that. So there was a whole movement that went through, largely as a result of Japanese companies being so successful in the 70s right. at, at claiming a lot of leadership in certain areas using these techniques. Well, they were following the work of a guy named Deming, right. who was an American who went over there and taught them. And a lot of what he was teaching them was to actually be able to visualize the whole process from beginning to end um, in a company. So clearly you do not make money if you don't actually deliver something to a customer and they end up paying you. Yeah. So if you've got a lot of inventory backed up behind a machine that's not working very fast and you've invested a lot of money in materials, that you're losing money with that inventory sitting there. Um, if you have uh, areas where parts of the chain aren't communicating with other parts of the chain and delays occur mm. you know, because people don't get the right information or whatever, um, that also affects profitability. So public quality movement, which has now kind of transformed itself into things like Six Sigma and other approaches that are kind of branded, 80% mm -hmm. um, of the tools that are used are visualization tools. Basically, you plot incidents on a Pareto diagram to see, you know, what percentage of incidents are causing what percentage of problems. Right. You have scattergrams. Um, you do actual control charts, which show, you know, what your allowable standards of deviation are from something, and you plot right. that visually. And so what work teams were taught to do in this, and still are, is how to use large charts to kind of map out what the process is and then where they can improve it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like one of the standard tools is to do a flow chart and consultants who work in process improvement at this level all use sticky notes and big, large charts. Right. And then you look at every single step of the process to see where there are potential opportunities for productivity. So what this is translated in, in manufacturing teams are not the only kind of teams that benefit from visualization. If you're working virtually, um, Say you're in a marketing team and you're spread all over the place. Mm -hmm. One of the critical things to be able to visualize is what the actual calendar is for the release of this and that kind of communication. So if you're working on a, um, a, you know, a product release that has to have a lot of attendant marketing around it, Mm -hmm. everybody's got in their mind a certain idea of where the deadlines and where the, the hurdles are as you're moving forward. Well, most project managers I knew use some kind of visual chart to communicate to everybody where they are. Sure. And it can be as simple as a spreadsheet, but it can be more complex if you look at some of the online project manager software now. I mean, right. all of them will show you a diagram of the flow of what you're doing. Right. In addition to the list of, you know, the checklist of who does right. what. Right. But you've also got very complex projects, uh, what's called a Gantt chart, which shows every task in its start and stop date. 
Mm-hmm. So all of these are basically is visual thinking applied to project names. So if you begin then looking at what I covered in visual meetings, which is how you use visuals to facilitate groups getting to alignment, you know, how you do drawing pictures together and uh, doing visioning together and that kind of a thing in order to craft a story that you then remember visually. Um, that kind of work is also important for leadership teams or special project teams that are working across boundaries or organizational change teams, you know, who are trying to start a new organization. So one one example would be um, we worked with a company that was launching a new talent management strategy in Asia. And we had a face-to-face meeting to come up with a vision for what they were doing and why they needed to have really good quality Asian managers for this company. It was a European company that was growing quite quickly over there. And they needed Asian representatives in leadership. So at the point they got their vision, they then, by country, decided on action plans. So the action plan for China would be very different than the action plan for Indonesia, which would be very different from the action plan for Japan. Right. So each one of those groups was... Um, asked to work out their action plan on a graphic game plan, which is one of the templates that I describe in mm-hmm. Visual Teams for. And it's a very tried and true visual way of displaying your action plan. And instead of having a meeting, they decided to have a virtual conference for four hours. Wow. On a four channel uh, web conference, basically. So each of the countries, China, Japan, Indonesia, Singapore, I think they had uh, I think they had one group in Hong Kong as well, um, met. They all had computers, mm-hmm. sitting at a computer, and they all had a projector that would show a video of each of the rooms. So they had an internal company video system that would show Right. Six different windows, so you can see all the different cities. All at once. But then on the computer, they had a decision support software called Council uh, that CoVision provides, and it's a very simple way of doing electronic brainstorming. So any of the people in this meeting in the in the six cities could type something into the Council program, and everybody else would see it. Wow. So they would ask questions, uh, and, you know, they would present the game plan, and then everybody would be able to respond with their feedback, and then everybody could read what they were doing. Well, they had the European managers listening to these game plans, and after each presentation, they then gave their response. So China would give its presentation, then the European managers would listen and give their response. I was in San Francisco on a tablet that I would record the manager's response graphically by writing the words and images that they communicated. And it was projected to all six cities on another screen. So they were were seeing themselves in video in a plasma display. Projected on a big screen was my drawing. 
and on a computer was the council software. You know, that is pretty amazing what we and can do. And they went for four hours. That's, you know, yeah, that, that is quite the accomplishment, what we can do these days with technology. Yeah. And, and, you know, I have a question for you when we come back after this break. My question, you know, is, is there something lost in translation when you're not in the same room? We'll get into that when we come right back. Sure enough. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexasaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Are you happy with the management and leadership style of your organization? Do you think it could use some improvement? No matter the level of leadership at your organization, you'll be sure to learn something new when you tune in to Adesis Methodology for Collaborative Management for Exceptional Results with Dr. Ishak Adesis. Through a unique lecture and interview format, we'll bring you ideas, questions, and answers that will help you run any organization, whether for-profit or not. Listen every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito, and our guest today is David Sibbett, who's the author of Visual Teams, Graphic Tools for Commitment, Innovation, and High Performance. So, David, um, let's talk about, you know, you, you talked about the power of the virtual conference or virtual meetings and how people in several different countries were able to interface and do some planning and have a, for four hours, you know, and and to be able to see each other on their computer screen real time, uh, to be able to input information so that everybody could see it. And, you know, I wonder, because for years and years and years, we've had the belief that in order for teams to really connect, in order for people to really trust each other, really develop um, an understanding and a good working relationship, there has to be personal connection. People have to have um, the opportunity to sit together, to chat, to, you know, kind of yeah, be in the same energy space in, in a way. Uh-huh. And, and what you're describing is that there, this can actually transcend that. So 
tell us, tell us about, talk to us about that. Well, I'm pretty firmly in the camp of believing that humans do respond to face-to-face meetings importantly, that it's um, very critical for establishing trust. Mm-hmm. But I must admit that um, different companies are achieving a lot of results without doing this. Um, mm-hmm. One in particular is Hewlett-Packard, which I have a close colleague there who is an internal manager, and all of her work is done virtually with mm-hmm. people that she has not necessarily met personally. Now, what I do know is that the telephone is actually a quite intimate medium if you work with it correctly. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're hearing tone of voice. In some ways, you're hearing it more intimately than you do if you're in a group setting. Right. Uh, And you can really get nuances of people's feeling, but you have to facilitate a teleconference in a way that um, is different than a face-to-face meeting. It can't go as rapidly. The way you move attention around is different. Um, and you also really have to have the technology together. Um, what was true about this uh, meeting that I mentioned to the European group is that one of the things that was so empowering about it for them is that each of the cities had a technical team that worked hugely to make sure the platform was completely mm-hmm. perfect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like in this call that we're having here, I mean, having the audio right is essential. Right. And we found all the way during the um, – uh, I was part of a group where users project with the Institute for the Future all during the 90s, and I actually have a whole chapter about that in visual teams because it was one of the best visual teams I've ever been a part of. Mm. Uh, we, we did most of our uh, – finding, pattern finding, and insight gathering using graphic facilitation and visual meetings methods. But we also experimented with every single kind of technology that was being developed to support collaboration. At the time, we called it groupware. I mean, that term has kind of gone out of fashion, but the the seeds of most of the tools you see today were, were actually sown in the 90s, so like video conferencing. Um, you had Lotus Notes, which was sort of the precursor of, you know, shared cloud computing, um, right? You know, like Google Docs and stuff like that. That's basically what Lotus Notes was trying to do: was provide that kind of interconnectivity when you weren't in the same room. So we tried everything we could think of: smart boards that um, are linked up. Now smart boards have evolved, and you can have up to 64 different smart boards all interconnected, and you can actually link in iPads and you can link in PCs. So uh, what we found is that no matter what we did, audio was fundamental. But visuals end up being fundamental for understanding anything that requires systemic thinking. Hmm. So if you're trying to think about how parts connect, how things operate together in some kind of system, like an organizational system or a project system or whatever. Right. You have to make a display in some medium. Either it's between your ears, you know, where you're mapping data into some structure you've got in your mind, or you're mapping it explicitly. And so what we began to experiment with and and began to realize is that most of the platforms that were evolving to really help groups work across all the kind of work they want to do would 
start involving some kind of display sharing. So you are seeing in contemporary web conferencing, every single platform has screen sharing. Right. You know, including Skype. Well, why would you want screen sharing? Well, you want screen sharing because you want to show people the document you're working with. And what you end up having with people who do know and trust each other is, you know, and this is part of the bouncing ball model, if you can imagine a V-shaped model where the first stage is orienting to why you're there and the second stage is trusting who you're working with. Third stage is getting clear on what you're doing. And the ball's now going down toward the bottom. And the bottom stage is commitment of time, money, and materials. And that's where you meet the organization and its resources. And we show the ball bouncing off the, the platform of the organization and the model. At that point, um, particularly around goal clarification and getting clear on what your commitments are, that's where you want to look at common documents when you're working together. You want to all be looking at the design of something. You want to all be looking at the roadmap. You want to all be looking at the action plan. And you're more involved in sharing that than you are in wanting to see somebody's face and how they're gesturing on a video. Mm. That's more of something you want when you're in the earlier stages of teamwork. You know, when you're building trust or just orienting to who's in the room, you want to know who you're talking to, then, you know, looking around and seeing what's happening with video works. Now, what I found out is that on very simple tools like Skype, I was in a board meeting just two days ago. There was an executive session where the board was meeting with the people who run the organization and getting clear on some of their communications and other things. And they, they hit a few speed bumps and were having some difficulties, and they really needed to have an important conversation. One of the key board members couldn't be there face-to-face. Mm. And it was the kind of meeting where you really had to be. Yeah. So what we did was Skype that person in and had, you know, my MacBook Pro sitting up there with his face almost as big as other people's face. And he could, through the camera, see the group. They could see his face. And the audio was good. And he fully participated. And it didn't slow the session down at all. Yeah. It was pretty amazing. I was very surprised. I mean, it kind of went against my instinct that you could do that. Mm, yeah. So I think we're at the front edge of being able to have both video and document display, which is the key to visual thinking. Um, you still have the problem. You were talking about the difference between face-to-face and, and virtual. Mm-hmm. Um, what we have discovered working visually like designers work, you know, with panoramic displays all around a room. Right. We'll do, when we're doing strategy work, we'll do several different views on what we need to think about. Like you, you look at the environment and put all your information together about what's going on out there. And then you look at your organization and you figure out strengths and problems and opportunities and threats. And then you look maybe to the future and you, you drew a picture of a vision. Well, if you can imagine a room with that, those charts that are finished all around the room, Pretty soon, it's like you're sitting in the middle of a Pixar design studio trying to do a movie. I mean, you've got a panorama around you. Right. Uh, or, you know, traditionally, this is the way you would conduct warfare. You'd have a war room. Uh-huh. Uh, designers work this way all the time, you know, right. when they're trying to see the whole the forest for the trees, et cetera. Um, it is still extremely difficult to do that virtually. 
And this mentality of pan, what I call panoramic thinking, or where you can form relationships. I mean, I'm sitting here talking to you, and I'm gesturing like crazy as though I have some kind of right. in front of me. Right, right. Desperately wanting to actually show you. <laughs> um, so, you know, I've, I've tried to see, you know, okay, what media really will allow panorama? Uh-huh. So I went into Second Life, and I do share a little bit of that in visual themes. And Second Life is kind of over its peak of popularity, but it allows you in three dimensions, sort of like a little uh, dollhouse kind of setting, to actually visualize what stuff looks like in a meeting room. So before you keep going with that, there may be some of our listeners who don't know what Second Life is. Oh, so well, Second Life is a three-dimensional uh, world that you have an avatar and you move around and you have ways of animating the avatar. And basically you can text other people and communicate by voice, actually. And, but what's most interesting is they give you a, a lot of tools to build um, models of whatever. You can build houses and learning centers and whatever. Mm-hmm. And you can, you can attach any JPEG or any image to the side of any object that you make. So you can wrap an image around a sphere or a square or whatever. And when you get used to these tools, you can actually create the illusion that you're looking at a 3D environment that's pretty realistic. Mm-hmm. So I've actually, you know, replicated the Grove, our company's headquarters, inside Second Life, and created a learning center and actually have installed shows that literally show you what panoramic thinking looks like. Oh, fantastic. If you're in a meeting. However, the problem is it's really difficult to learn how to move around in Second Life. Oh. And it's not the place where client would I meet. Mean, some clients in high-tech companies are actually having meetings in there. But that really isn't that useful. I use it mostly um, to show people by just projecting, you know, Second Life hook in on the, the Internet and then using a computer projector to show people what it's like. But it's not the same as sitting in a room where you talk and a graphic recorder is writing down what you say and you get to correct them and add and use there's all this immediate feedback and acknowledgement of what you've said. And everybody's, anybody who says anything is getting acknowledged and put up on the charts. Right. And you're getting everybody to work with sticky notes. You're getting people to work inside templates, maybe even collaging, you're, you're working literally, you're working like design teams work who are working on visual product design. But you're maybe thinking of your company's business plan for the next year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, this kind of working is, is really stimulating your entire sensibility, not just your symbol-making brain. It's, it's, you're moving around, you're being engaged kinesthetically. Um, you're interacting with other people. Uh, if you're standing up and doing dot boating or um, moving stickies around on an infinity diagram, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. the amount of energy that gets into the meeting is very different than sitting by a computer and looking at something. That makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, and you get yeah. better thinking. And you can get better thinking, right? I mean, you get more innovative thinking. I mean, anybody who's who's doing innovation work knows that you've got to change modalities. Mm-hmm. And I've got a, a colleague, and I quote her in here, Lisa Kimball uh, was one of the first people who 
on uh, Caucus, which is one of the computer conferencing programs that is used. It's now called eCampus, I think. And she has a group called Group Jazz, and then also is now the president of Plexus, which is a systems thinking institute. And um, Lisa has come across a very interesting way of stimulating people innovatively, and she calls it using liberating structures. Mm-hmm. And an example of liberating structure would be World Cafe. Oh, uh, yeah. Where you meet in small cafe sized people, and lots of times, World Cafe. We use graphics because we were, along with Juanita Brown and David right. Ivey and others, we brought graphics into the World Cafe right at the beginning. Um, but that's, you know, if you have a regular kind of meeting and then suddenly you have a little cafe in the middle of it, you've shifted the venue and the way people interact and new things happen. Now, if you then have another approach, which is like, uh, okay, we're going to do a process diagram a la Rummler Brace or some of their people who are well-known for methods for doing process diagramming. Mm-hmm. And we're going to make sticky notes for every step in this process. You know, maybe we're a foundation and we're figuring out how we make our grants. What's, well, what's the process we go through? You know, what are the channels of activity and how, is the, how does it link here or there and everything? That's a completely, it engages a completely different part of your mind than the World Cafe does. Then you might say, well, there's another structure called um, appreciative inquiry. Appreciative inquiry says, instead of problem solving, why don't we act like gardeners and look at our organization as, you know, what's working and how can we nurture what's working and make it stronger? So she's taken these different methods in, you know, group graphics, what we do would be an example. Um, and figured out a little chunk, like two hours, that would allow people to enter into that way of working and work that way for a while. And she asks people when they're doing a retreat or something, which liberating structures would you like to string together? Hmm. Just to kind of take this angle, that angle, this angle, at whatever they're working on. And people will say, well, we're going to, let's start out with this, uh, we'll do graphic history telling, and then we're going to go do a world cafe. And then we'll jump in and we'll do a you know, sticky note thing. And then we're going to actually go for – have a dialogue circle with a talking stick. And she said the results she's getting from these liberating structures approaches are just fantastic. People don't think they you know, have to do a whole methodology. Right. They're just doing a little chunk, a little chunk. Right. Well, I think what we're finding when I'm explaining in visual teams when I – write about the different teams that are working this way, is when I make an analogy between a team and a design team, I'm thinking about that way of working, of where you, you allow yourself to prototype and fool around and come up with ideas and come up with different ideas and give yourself a way to kind of circle around things before you close in. Um, it's, it's basically... Uh, ways of collaborating, and a lot of the tools that are most helpful around for teams that are highly interdependent end up being tools of visualization, because what you're trying to look at is how the pieces fit together. You know, if you're a highly interdependent team, you want to come up with, you know, a kind of a lower level, you want to come up with actual action plans and calendars that, that, that are 
very you know, clear to people when right. they look at it and say, right, we know what right, we're doing. Right. But right. now a, a more high-performing team, what it needs maybe is a really well-understood metaphor about how they work that serves as kind of a set of guiding principles so that they can be much more improvisational, but they still need that coherence. Yeah, absolutely true. Now, we need to take a break. When we come back, I want you to address the issue that many people out there are asking themselves right now, which is, I'm not a professional in this arena. I don't know how to do this. And, oh, by the way, I'm a terrible artist, so how can I use this? Mm-hmm. When Be we come back, too. we'll talk about that. Okay. We'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Have you planned for your retirement yet? If you are a public sector employee, perhaps not. Studies have shown that employees of schools, educational institutions, governments, nonprofits, and public safety may lack the information they need to effectively prepare for retirement. For the answers you need, tune in to Lessons in Retirement, Retirement Planning for Public Sector Employees with host Jim Bishop, broadcasting live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. It's sure to pay off in your future. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexasaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. And welcome back to Leading Conversations with guest David Sibbett today. All right, David. So, you know, a lot of people listening are not professionals. They're not professional facilitators. Um, many people say, this sounds like great, sounds like a lot of fun. And, oh, by the way, I'm not an artist. I don't know how to do these things really well. So, what can those people do to just get started? Mm-hmm. Well, on the Visual Teams book, a good part of the book is actually explaining team dynamics and how teams work using graphics. Mm-hmm. So it actually is tremendously accessible, and it has nothing to do with being an artist. It has to do with mentally understanding how teams work. Mm-hmm. And so I take the team performance model with seven key stages, and each one of those has three success factors. And I go through, and there's a spread on each one of those. And then there's a chapter on each one that gives examples of teams that 
that are, for instance, real clear about goals, or uh, there's a whole chapter on how to get how to get commitment, how you do make decisions in groups, and come to closure. And all of these ideas are being expressed graphically. And one of the things that Wiley allowed me to do was to create. I was able to design the book myself. So I did a lot of the drawings and all the writing, um, used the Cintiq tablet to do the drawings. And so wherever possible, I was graphically showing people about these ideas. So if you really want to know about teams, this book isn't just about visual teams. It's about teamwork in general. Uh And that's one of the little bit misleading things about the title. People might think it's just for design teams. It's not at all. This is a visual book about teams. And it is immensely accessible. Um, I really worked on that. And it's one of the most uh, widespread team models now. Nike uses it as a standard inside their company. Um, this particular model. Uh, Genentech, Chevron, Beck and Dickinson, these are companies that have all come to the, this book. And that's one of the reasons I wrote it, was to kind of show uh, people who work with teams that way. Um, on the artist side, the point I was making in visual meetings, and in visual meeting methods, the first book, all apply to visual teams. I mean, visual teams basically are teams that use visual meeting methods, in addition to the technology methods of linking in between meetings. And that book was written not where you have to be an artist at all. Um, and the, me- the methods really that work the very best are sticky note methods, which really has to do with organizing information in certain structures that allow you to see patterns. So are you organizing things in a circle so that you see everything, how everything's unified? Or are you using sticky notes in some kind of grid? Like an example is a high-low grid where you have a bunch of choices and you just organize sticky notes where they're up high on the chart if they're high payoff and low if they're low. Well, that doesn't take artistic talent. This is basic. You know, you're basically trying to mirror what you're trying to look at um, and what you're trying to think about, not not with illustrations in that, but with how do, how do the pieces connect? You know, if you're doing an action plan, and uh, the graphic game plan that we recommend, and there's a whole chapter on how you do a graphic game plan with, with very uh, clear examples of mm-hmm. what they look like when they're being worked with, you, you initially uh, use sticky notes to generate data, and then when the group agrees, you write it on the display itself. And it's, it's no different than using a flip chart in terms of the artistic ability required. Mm-hmm. It's just that you're putting the information in a visual structure that's been pre-designed to help you see the connections that you need to see. So... Um, most of the really useful strategies, like what I mentioned, uh, the total quality strategies, none of those require artistic talent. What they require is that you know what you're, you know, actually understand different choices for display making. Right. And what they tend to bring out and what they obscure. And so that's a that's something where looking at a book and saying, oh, you know. Now I can see what they're doing here. Mm-hmm. Um, most consultants, for instance, who are not particularly artistic, uh, generally speaking, mm-hmm. couldn't live without their four-box models. <laughs> and part of the reason is that dividing things into four 
distinctions with, you know, like two axes, um, actually turns out to be a really perfect level of complexity right. to get people to start thinking about choices. Um, I, I don't know whether you're familiar with uh, Covey's real well-known one about, you know, time management. Oh, yeah. Where, you know, you've got the uh, important, unimportant, urgent, not urgent. Yep. You know that one? And people get stuck in that urgent, yep. unimportant box all the time. All the time. And you neglect the non-urgent, important quadrant. Now, the stuff that takes forward planning. Well, that's the little piece of visual thinking there. You know, when you draw that little four-box model and then right. you map out what you're doing in those four quadrants, that doesn't take artistic skill. That just takes, hmm, this might be interesting to do it this way. So that you actually are starting to look at the interconnections between the items you've got in the different cells. So both of these books, Visual Readings and Visual Teams, are those kinds of examples, primarily. Well, I love now, what you do in the book yeah. because you describe a set of principles that are yes. easy to digest. Yes. And from those principles, um, you have choices then how to um, put those to work. Yeah. And, you know, I, the book is comprehensive, and I encourage anyone who buys it to – well, I encourage everyone to buy it – and um, anyone who does to, you know, take the time to really um, just – kind of drink it in, you know. It, it's a, the kind of book that I found that as I was reading through it, um, because of the way you have this mapped out in the book, you have it very visual. There are things that jump off the page. I noticed yeah. things like, you know, with the first time when I was flipping through the book, just kind of get a feel for it, the pages that it would fall open were things that I just needed right at that moment. Mm. Oh, interesting. <laughs> How does that happen, you know? Um, but it, but if it had been just text, then I would have missed it, right? Oh, but because boy, you yeah. have this mapped out in such a visual way, it was very easy for it to jump off the page. And, uh, yeah, I just, I just love the way you've put this together. It's very, very easily digested. Yeah. We invested also in putting together an annotated bibliography that covers all teamwork. Oh, great. You know, because I wasn't going in, there's lots of behavioral things about teamwork and there's lots of great literature about how you deal with conflict, how you deal with interpersonal mm -hmm. issues and things like that. Now, I touch on some of that, but that's not primarily what this book is aimed at. But the bibliography guides you to what we think are some of the best resources in the field if you're just starting out with teamwork. Well, and, you know, given our um, global economy and given uh, how teams around the world, whether they are a multinational corporation or a small organization providing services to organizations who are multinational corporations, um, the whole interface of technology and the individual is ramping up. People are yes. going to have to get comfortable with this, and it makes sense that that it's done in a way that um, maximizes effectiveness, and this is now, what you can do with, with what you're presenting here. Yeah, the so, last section deals almost entirely with speculations and, and sharing experience that we've had with some of the different technologies that are impacting teams. Oh, great. 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I just think it really... Including mobile. It takes... Uh, well, and how important is that? I mean, everybody's walking around with an iPad these days, you know, or some sort of yeah. tablet. And, um, you know, not just their smartphone, but... And it seems more and more work is getting done that way. So I know, David, people are going to want to know so much more about this, and we've, we're coming to the end of the show. Okay. How can they um, learn more, get in touch with you and the, the Grove Consultants, and, you know, where can they reach you? Well, there's a link on the front page of our uh, grove.com, G-R-O-V-E.com, right, to where you can get these books. And also a lot of the other tools um, are available through there. Um, I also have several presentations posted on a European uh, site called Prezi, P-R-E-Z-I, which is a new visual presenter that allows for zooming mm. and panning. It's a very interesting thing. But these presentations, one of which is I gave on visual teams at the Pegasus Conference, are there for anybody to look at. Uh, you have to just sign into Prezi and then search for visual teams. All right. um, graphic tools for creating and sustaining high performance. I think that's the name of it. Um, you might also try searching by my name, but I think you have to search by the name of that presentation. Fantastic. And that is then available to look at. It, it, it takes a while to load because it's got quite a few graphics in it. Ah. But, but it would give loaded, people a real taste. Around. It doesn't have the narrative that I had with it, but it gives mm -hmm. a lot of examples visually. Well, that's fantastic. Well, David, we have enjoyed having you here today and wish you all the best with this beautiful new book you have that's so useful, Thank so you. practical. And um, we know that it will be as successful, if not more, than the previous contributions you've made to the field. Well, thank you so much, Cheryl. Oh, great. It's been great to have you. So remember, everyone, to think big because the world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. See you next week.